My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. On a number of occasions in the past when I've interviewed ex-England internationals across the full range of angling disciplines, I've asked how they see the task of squad selection and whether or not in their opinion, particularly on the sea angling scene, things haven't always been as transparent as maybe they could or should have been. Not unexpectedly, this has drawn some quite interesting and at times extremely critical responses. Today I'm going to ask some of those same questions again, this time to Northwest-based ex-England international shore angler Andy Steele, who later went on to become an advisor to the England selection panel and ultimately the England manager, and is therefore in a better place than most to comment on how the actual qualification and selection process works. That, however, is a question for later. If we may, I'd like to start at the other end of your career by having you talk us through your formative years. When, where and why did you get into shore fishing and what was it that attracted you to the competitive aspect of it? Right, going back a long time, when I first started fishing as a youngster I was into course fishing and I got involved in fishing matches on the canals and things like that. But uh, it started getting a little bit too expensive for me obviously as a, I was a student and just got my first job and they were coming out with these poles that you needed to fish on the canals that were probably £2,000 plus even in them days and bloodworm and etc and, and somebody just told me like, let's go shore fishing go and catch some flounders uh, flatties at Arnside and I thoroughly enjoyed it and we spent a bit of time fishing those places and I went up to Balcarry and fished from the rocks for the big cod up there and was quite successful and it just went on from there. I had a, a group of friends and I'd been reading in the Angling Times then about the Angling Times Winter League, teams of five. Bob Gledhill was running it at the time and I rang Bob up and, and he said, yeah, just, just come along, we'll put the team in and you can come and fish. And we did and... We weren't particularly that successful, but thoroughly enjoyed it and went on from there. So who were the early mentors that would steer in the direction all of this would ultimately take? In the match fishing? Yeah. Well, I was the instigator of the originally of that team and um, to start into the match fishing, but there was um, a team from Preston in the league called Preston International, and they were a very successful team. They were one of the ones that would win it or be thereabouts every year. And when my friends all disappeared and I had no team, they actually asked me if I'd fish for them and I was actually quite honoured. I had won a couple of the matches, one in particular at Arnside, I think I caught about 60 off Flounders and won the match and obviously that brought their attention to me and uh, we went on from there. So the people that were running that was Les Wilson and John Dewis. Now Les Wilson unfortunately has passed away now but I still fish with John Dewis now like in the boat. Competitions all around the country back in the 1970s and 80s were very much bigger affairs than they are today. What then, in your opinion, lies behind the fall away in interest to the extent that it has? If indeed it has. Oh, it's definitely fallen away. I remember when we were um, the Sea Anglers Match Federation, and when I first joined that and started uh, fishing their competitions, there were competitions up and down the country running qualifiers to fish the Masters, and the Masters itself would get 300 plus people in it. Now we're struggling to get 50, 60 people sometimes. 
and it's basically all the same faces. There's not many new people coming into the sport and there's a certain lack of youngsters and membership of the Sea Anglers Match Federation's fallen. It's down to, we're averaging about 170, whereas we, we used to get 400 members a few years ago. It's um, lack of new faces coming in and um, definitely young people. I believe there's now too many other things for young people to do. What about the quality of the fishing itself and the part played by sponsorship, or more to the point, lack of sponsorship? Sponsorship's always been difficult to get. We've never really had good sponsorship. I mean, I'll probably touch on that when we start talking about international fishing, but the fishing is certainly not as good as it used to be. However, when you're fishing in matches in particular, there are fish to go for. We tend to put the matches on certainly the northwest at times of the year and in places where there are some fish to go for. So really that's what competition's all about. It's not so much the quality of fishing, you just need fish to catch. Earlier you mentioned always seeing the same faces at competitions. Taking that one stage further, in many cases it's also the same faces picking up the prizes which must be disheartening for the other entrants, and possibly even one of the reasons behind the falling interest levels. So is there nothing that can be done to ensure a far more even or more widespread distribution of prizes? Yeah, I totally agree with that, and what we've done... I mean, you'll forgive me, I keep coming back to the Sea Anglers Match Federation, because this is what I run. We were starting to become a little bit elitist, and um, yes, you were getting on, and the top people were winning the prizes, and we were making the top prize quite substantial. So what we've done now is we've started to spread the money about, because uh, it is basically money, we do get tackle track prizes, but it is basically money, so that there's a bigger spread of things um, in zone positions, there's more zone position prizes and things like that, so you might not necessarily come in the top ten, but you can win a decent zone prize. So I agree, and... I've experienced it in the past where you can get some teams that are that good that people just, they don't want to be bothered trying to compete against them because they know they can't. I mean, you've already spoken to Alan Price, his team in North Wales were a prime example of that. They swept the board in Wales. They no longer had a league anymore in Wales and uh, they came to fish in the Blackpool League. Uh, they still won that. <laughs> Where do you stand on the subject of roving versus peg matches? My thoughts on roving matches are that I don't like them. I can understand why they have them in the northeast because of the nature of the ground that they're fishing. But it, roving matches, to me, lends itself to cheating, and I'm aware of cases in the past where, where it has happened that people have cheated. Peg matches are definitely the way to go from a serious match angling point of view because that's what it's all about is match angling when you start getting on to international level they're all peg matches and it's making the best of a bad draw that makes a good matchman makes a good angler looking back to the days before Sant, dissatisfaction with the way shore angling competitions were run wasn't only being expressed by people who had little or no chance of ever winning anything those claiming most of the prizes were equally unhappy about the organisational structure to the point that in 1980, with Alan Yates perhaps as the main driving force, the Sea Anglers Match Federation or SAMF was set up, which we've already touched upon, and in which you've played an active part for many years. When SAMF first um, was formed, it was in 1980, and I wasn't actually around at that time. 
I hadn't quite got into uh, into match fishing, but I, I did get into it a little bit later than that, and these people were still around that formed it, and I do know the history of it. I've got quite an in-depth history, actually, in, the, in, in my file there as to what's gone on over the years. And Sea Anglers Match Federation was basically formed by Alan and a few others who were the leading top matchmen at the time because they were fed up of the way that competitions were being run nationally. Um, they were fed up of winning a television or a microwave or whatever it was, and they wanted to start fishing for serious money. That's why the Sea Anglers Match Federation was formed, to bring about a set of rules for you know, to conduct match fishing in a proper manner, like, for instance, peg matches and catch and release and things like that. And in actual fact, a little bit later on, I was involved with the National Federation of Sea Anglers, as it was, and they actually incorporated our rules into their match fishing section. So some good came out of that. Despite them initially opposing it? Yes, yes. I mean, I wasn't there at the time, however... I did serve on a couple of committees within the National Federation of Sea Anglers and um, I was on the competition group and we did write a set of rules specifically for the, the Federation of Sea Anglers. Moving on to the England setup now and what some people see as a north-south divide, something else Alan Yates said which has stuck in my mind was that having lots of big wins on your CV for catching fish like cod or dogs isn't worth a light when it comes to international selection these days. What does he mean by that? I think where he's coming from is, and I've seen it firsthand, that match fishing at a world level is now at such a stage where the foreign teams are so good at catching small fish, Mediterranean style, using coarse fishing type of tactics, that there's not many places where you will go in the world to fish a world championships where they catch dogfish and cod. The most recent ones actually were in Holland last year and they did have our kind of fishing in Holland but I think that's where Alan's coming from that really you need to be adept at catching large quantities of uh, small fish with coarse fishing gear. He also went on to say that while there was no deliberate bias towards anglers in the south because things like sea temperatures, species mix and water clarity along the south coast were nearer to those of the continent, with the obvious exception of Alan Price who has made great efforts to work on and perfect the continental approach, south coast anglers were in a better position to practice them more frequently and therefore qualify for the squad. Yeah, I mean of course Alan's uh, Welsh, I know Alan very well and he's a formidable angler, I've fished next to him, seen him fishing and he's just out of this world and one of the reasons why he is, and his teammates, is that they travel. I've seen them, I went to fish um, a weekend match in Stranraer and they fished a match in uh, Hollyhead on the Friday, drove up to Stranraer to fish the match on the Saturday, Saturday night drove all the way down to the south coast to fish another match on the Sunday. I, mean, I don't always approve of all the driving that they're doing because they must have been shattered, but um, that's what they do because they were that keen on the, on fishing. They were fishing a diverse number of venues, and of course that only brings them the skills that they're required to fish at world level. And it was the Pen League that Sea Angler do. I don't necessarily agree with the Pen League because I don't really fish it, but um, that's what they were chasing. They were chasing pen points. But of course they were getting all the skills. And... Unfortunately for people in the north, we do not have that kind of fishing that, that they have. And I think Alan's already said, clear water, light lines, small fish, small hooks, small baits. We do not fish that way. We don't need to fish that way in the north. And, of course, they're going for species like um, scad up in the water. 
garfish up in the water with rigs that float up. I mean, when I first saw these rigs that they were using, I was mesmerised. <laughs> and, and that's what it's about. But there's no point people in the north complaining about that because you have to go and learn it. And I experienced northern anglers trying to ban methods and trying to ban garfish, for instance, in matches that we were having because they knew they would get beat by the South Coast boys. And, well, sorry, no, banning it's no good. Learn it. <laughs> so how does the actual England squad selection process work? Well, basically what happens is you have to build up a CV of results and you've then got to apply to the now angling trust to be considered for the squad and they hold squad events where I forget how many now up to 30 people will go and fish a squad weekend and the squad weekend will involve discussions it'll involve certain exercises it'll involve two fishing competitions and all the time that they're there the selectors will be observing them and making notes and obviously the squad weekend is not ultimately the way that you will get in the England team because they've got to consider the venue, they've got to consider the style of fishing, they've got to consider your past results, your quality and obviously they'll use what they've seen in the, uh, in the squad weekend. That's how I got picked for the England team. I fished the home internationals up in Scotland. It was on a rock venue and they took us to the Kent Coast for the squad weekend off the... Um, Oh, what do they call it now? Where they built the Channel Tunnel and they dumped all the machinery in the water. I forget the name of it now. Anyway, it was it was a rough mark and I actually won the competition and, and beat everybody around me. That's how I got in the home international team because they said, well, it's a rough ground mark and uh, if we're serious about the squad weekend, we've got to pick anglers that do well at that. So they, they actually picked a team of northern anglers to go and fish with there was myself and Ashley Sampson and the rest of them were from the North East. There were no South Coast boys in, in that team. Evidence then, perhaps, that there isn't a strict North-South divide or jobs for the boys? No, it, it has changed. I can understand where the jobs for the boys comes in because when you're thinking about picking a team that's going to fish for the kind of fishing that they do and the majority of the fishing abroad is like that, then I can understand why a lot of South Coast boys get picked. Even so, there is resentment, particularly as has happened when people who've not done as well as others on a broad range of qualifying parameters still get selected ahead of others who should have, maybe because of a desire for stability. I've experienced that and that's one of the reasons that um, I decided to knock it on the head actually. It wasn't the only reason, it was the, it was the cost of it because you mentioned sponsorship or the, the cost of it all. I mean, just the cost of going to matches that you didn't really want to go and fish and the weather was bad, you get results on your CV, you go all the way down to the squad weekend, all at your own expense, and then when you get to fish, it's mainly at your own expense. The prime example was, I was manager of the England team in Italy and all we got was a badge to sew on our own jacket, a polo shirt and a tie. <laughs> that was it. But I experienced the problems with selection via the squad weekend because after I'd fished for the home international team I got a silver medal for the team I was second in the team best performance, second in the team and went down, fished the squad weekend did exceptionally well in the match that I fished I caught lots of fish and two people that caught less fish that hadn't done as well as me in the home international team actually got selected in front of me and I couldn't work out why 
couldn't work out why. Plus the cost of it all, it was just getting too much. I had a young family. So, I think it's got a lot better since though. I have seen um, changes. Now the, the chairman of the Angling Trust competition group is Darren Phillips, who's actually now the Sea Anglers Match Federation chairman, Darren Phillips. And um, I have seen that it's a lot fairer and there's a lot more thought goes into selecting the team. He's also brought in the Sea Anglers Match Federation challenge matches as being one of the ultimate matches to be fished in to get a good result in and he's just trying to, to work it all in because we, we just sent a team to Scotland to fish against Scotland. We've got a team fishing against Belgium and Holland this weekend coming and there's been the England squad weekend so we've been having to select teams to work all around that and there's a lot of good North East anglers around at the moment and they're getting selected so it has improved an awful lot in fact I wish I got the energy to do it all again now <laughs> but it's still not perfect well is anything ever perfect I mean fishing's such a you can't guarantee that you're going to do well in fishing can you you can only select people that you think will do the best that they possibly can at a certain venue but there's no guarantees that they're going to do it well, perfect is perhaps not the right word. Transparent might be a better choice. Perhaps uh, there's a lack of communication about the reasons why. I don't know whether I should say this really, but um, I do know of one angler in particular that never got selected for an England team again because his bedroom was a mess. That was the old kind of National Federation of, you know, he, he did things untidily and he didn't like it. and <laughs> That kind of thing did used to go on. And there's a report written on every angler afterwards and the report of everybody's performance and how they've conducted themselves because obviously there's more when you're representing your country there's more to than just fishing. It's how you represent yourself, your country and behave. So what should an aspiring UK-based international shore angler do to get him or herself noticed and ultimately earn a place if not in the team then at least in the greater squad as a next step in the learning process? Well, first of all, you've got to go out there and you've got to start getting results. You've got to really fish hard. Like Alan's already said, it's no good just being good at one particular kind of fishing. I know some very good anglers that are very good at a particular kind of fishing that can catch cod for fun in the Bristol Channel and they win matches and things like that, but they just can't quite break into the team. You need to travel, like I've already touched on, and be diverse in the way that you fish. Yes, catch fish bang a bait out a long way, be you know, good at casting, being able to fish rough marks. On the other side of it, you've got to be able to learn to fish close in, fish with light gear, fish with small hooks. You've got to fish for the fish that are there. And uh, you've got to build up a good set of results and then show the capabilities. And then you've got to apply to the selectors. You've got to get the application form, fill it in and just keep trying and keep going and keep going. Can I ask, if things were still at the cod and dogfish win stage on the CV when you got going, or had the greater diversity trend already kicked in by that stage? I did travel around, and I, myself and um, Stuart Dewhurst, that I've already mentioned, we were pairs in the Irish pairs, the direct Irish pairs, and um, we did well catching small numbers of flounders and small numbers of flatties and obviously getting the odd lucky fish and things like that. We were, we were always well up in the pairs, always got good results. We won it one year, 
and we travelled around all over the country and got results fishing all different ways. And it's that that you get on your CV. Not just that I go to Blackpool and whack out a great big lugworm and catch a big cod and win matches and things like that. You wouldn't get anywhere just by doing that. So it is, it's, it's the travelling around. You've got to be able to do it and you've got to be able to afford to do it as well. That's another thing, isn't it? I know a lot of good anglers that never, never got anywhere because they couldn't afford it. Which is sad. Very sad. But let's say you've been selected for the squad, or better still, even the team. So you turn up as instructed at the venue. As outsiders, anglers like me just reading the press about the selection and the result. But what I'm sure many would like to know is more about what happens in between. I'll tell you about what happened when I fished for the England team um, up in Scotland. We travelled up there, myself and John Amy, who was the team manager at the time. We obviously, prior to that, knew what baits we were going to use because it's bait provision. We went up early and we did some practising on the venues, which was allowed. And then you get together, all the teams get together in the hotel and you mingle and, you know, you socialise a bit. But it's all very low-key, obviously, because everybody's very nervous and what have you. And then the team managers have their meetings, they come back and they convey information back to the team about what's going to happen and how the weekend's going to pan out, because sometimes there can be last-minute changes, especially if you're in Italy. Last-minute changes <laughs> and last-second changes. <laughs> And then there's a practice match, so that it's, it's not so much um, a practice match where you're going to learn a lot, it doesn't count. It's mainly to make sure that the organisers have got the systems working properly and there's nothing going to go wrong in the matches. So then you, you have a, a team meeting, decide if you've got any particular plans to fish the venue, depending on the kind of venue and what species are available and... Anybody got any tips about what they think they, you know, would work and what to try? In particular, one day we were fishing a match in Belgium and uh, we just did not know how it, it was going to fish because of the weather conditions. The information we had and from the, some of the team that had been practising, there wasn't a lot of fish about. So we just took a view that some of us would fish long, some of us would fish short and some of us would fish in a, in a certain way. So it's that kind of thing. And if anything proved to be particularly successful, then that will get relayed down the match length by the captain and the reserves and the runners. Things like happened against the, the forces one year. We were fishing on the Anglian coast and we found that it wasn't fishing particularly well, but one of the team members found that there was small coddling. That close in, his leader and that was out of the way, so they were that close in and that got relayed down and we, we won that match as well as real to that. But to go back to the international, yeah, then obviously you go out and you fish the match and then you have a team meeting at the end of it. Everybody puts the, the two penneth in to find out what's gone well, what hasn't gone well and then how we're going to approach the next match. This is a two-day event and once again go out there and, and hopefully do the business and then once that match is over you can let your hair down a little bit and socialise with the other teams properly and... You normally find the Scots and the Irish socialise very well. <laughs> and, and that's it. It's all about conducting yourself in the right way, listening, learning and passing information around amongst the team. Now in all of these competitions there are two prizes up for grabs, the team and individual honours. So how does the individual side of things work? 
must you first contribute a set amount of a team result before even thinking about yourself or our individual goals just an accidental element of it? I would suggest it's an accidental win for the individual because it's all about the team. You won't thank one of your team members for just trying to go for glory by catching a big fish and sacrificing getting a, a decent result in your zone for the team. No, it's all about the team. Definitely. Has it ever happened where team considerations have actually taken second place by someone going for individual glory? No comment. <laughs> I have experienced in the South team where we've had a pre-meeting and we've been told the best way to fish this particular venue and then found out that somebody's gone out there and fished opposite to what he'd been telling, advising everybody. However, there's no money to gain in any of these competitions. It's only for the glory, so there's no point doing that. The lads being what they are within the South Challenge matches, they did used to run a £10 a head sweepstake amongst themselves, and we knocked that on the head because we found that the um, passing of information was <laughs> vastly reduced if there was a few quid to be won, so we soon knocked that on the head. So, you've explained what it's like to arrive at a venue as a squad member but you've also been England team manager, which I suspect puts a different perspective on things. So give us some kind of insight into what will be on that particular agenda. Right, well, from a team manager's point of view, obviously you are not quite as um, intensive into the team tactics because when I was manager in Italy, I was there more for my organising skills rather than to tell the likes of Ian Golds and Darren Phillips and, and the rest of the team how they should fish the venue because they had the experience and they were better anglers than me. So I wasn't there to tell them how to fish. I was just there to make sure that they fished damned hard and that they kept their heads up when it wasn't going right and uh, made sure that they got the bait and they got to the venue and even that they were all right in the hotel and that everything, just the whole thing was going right. And you've then got to make sure that you, you go to um, the meetings. There's a meeting every morning, a results meeting at night time, and you then go back and you pass on the information to your team. You, have, you, you call them in together, have a team meeting, discuss what you're going to do tonight, make sure you get the bait, get the bait collected. And, you know, it's, it's all about organising. Somebody once said to me, oh, God, you're lucky going fishing to Italy. You know, the two weeks, and uh, it wasn't like that. It was the hardest holiday I've ever had. <laughs> and the most costly. Talking with you before we switched the voice recorder on, I got the impression that being England team manager wasn't the job you thought it was going to be. Not perhaps your favourite experience on the international scene. Well, it was the first time that I'd actually been England team manager. They asked me if I would do it because they didn't have anybody at the time. Thankfully, there's somebody called Martin Reed now from Kent who's actually taken over and loves the job. But let's put it this way, it was a long, hard slog. I drove all the way down to Hampshire to meet up with the team. We drove a big minibus all the way across Europe to Italy. It was hard work. We got there and... It was um, a resort that was in the height of the Italian holiday season. There were millions of people about, there were millions of cars about. You couldn't park, you couldn't get near your hotel. It was roasting hot. <laughs> you were fishing at night time and it was just long, hard days. And um, it was fraught with all kinds of problems. 
we'd gone out a week early to fish on what we thought were the venues with what we thought was going to be the bait only to find out that it had changed there was all kinds of gamesmanship going on by the Italians we were fishing on busy beaches Mediterranean beach and it was holiday time but obviously most of the holiday makers were leaving as we were going down bar owners weren't very happy about us being there but some of the bars had lights shining on the water and thought cracking that attracted the fish but the lights were only left on if an Italian or was near them when we got a prime peg the following night thinking that oh lots of everything we we saw the stewards going down to turn the the light off (laughs) yeah it was all that I mean, don't get me wrong, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The team was brilliant. We, we didn't win anything, but we had a couple of really good performances out of the five days, and I really enjoyed the team uh, environment and, and what have you. But it cost me a lot of money as well. It cost me nearly £2,000 because there was nothing paid for. You know, <laughs> We were even embarrassed because you go to the presentation and uh, all these other teams are there. They're all giving away things and everything and what have you, and giving away clothing and caps and things like that from the federations. We get nothing. Absolutely nothing out of the Anglin Trust. In fact, they said if you give your tie away and you need another one, you'll have to buy it. <laughs> Presumably then, the other teams are sponsored, financed and operated in a completely different way to the England setup. Why is that? A prime example is the, uh, the Dutch Federation. It's a massive organisation and there's lots of money involved and there's a lot of money pumped into the teams and everything. Yeah, it certainly is big difference the South Africans are there they were wearing the team outfits all day during the day and at night time and they, you know they did lots of outfits track suits and you know all kinds of things we, we get nothing so from a fishing point of view the manager has no input at all to put it bluntly he's just a gopher no just a gopher there's a specific committee within the angling trust that deal with the selection and thankfully, I'm not sure exactly who's on it to be honest, I know Darren Phillips is the chairman now and is is a very genuine, clever bloke when it comes to sea angling from the shore every faith in that they will select the right teams in the past the federation of sea anglers, they have people selecting the teams that know absolutely nothing about shore fishing absolutely nothing and eventually you're packed in as manager you're packed in with the squad, and you even packed in big competition fishing. Why? Well, like I said, it just all got too much. I had this ambition that I wanted to fish for England, and I realised it. And managing it was a little bit of a bonus on top, but I've got other directions to go into. I've got a young family, it was costing an arm and a leg, travelling to all these matches. But there's one specific time when it actually brought it home to me, that the style of fishing you need to do to fish international competitions there are better ways to go about fishing there's better fish to catch and I'll tell you exactly what brought it on to me when we're fishing in Ireland you're fishing on these fabulous surf beaches like Inch and um, Brandon and, and things like that but the way to do well in it is to fish with small hooks and creeper ragworm and basically to fish for the, for the flounders and, and small flatties and and then pick up anything else that might come your way, like a bass or a dogfish and things like that. And you'd be sitting there and you'd be willing your odd tip to bite and you'd be all overjoyed because you'd caught this little flounder and everything. And then I saw a, uh, a Sky programme and it was based 
round the area where we uh, were fishing these competitions and it was all about blue shark fishing. Anyway, within half a mile of going out from where we were actually fishing these matches, there was blue sharks. And I was thinking, like, what am I doing? I said, there's fish, there's fish out there to catch when, when I'm down there thinking, this has got to stop. I, mean, I missed it because it's a fabulous trip and competition, but I decided that there are fish out there to go fishing for that will pull your string. And I've been out in Namibia and I've, I've been to Norway last September, going back to Norway in September, and I've found carp fishing as well, which I quite enjoy. And a Warrior 175 on a trailer at the side of the house. Exactly, yeah, I should have mentioned, shouldn't I, boat fishing, yeah. I've always had boats, I've always been dead keen on boat fishing. I love the boat fishing for, I love bass and smooth hounds and like where you're going tomorrow, the black brain, fabulous fishing. So with a boat in the garden and the high-pressure shore match fishing a thing of the past, what does your future now hold from a sea angling perspective? Well, I don't fish very many matches anymore. I'm still secretary of the Sea Anglers Match Federation, under sufferance, because nobody else will do it. When I first joined, I actually took the job over from Nick Haywood, and it must be going back now 15, maybe 16 years, I can't remember, it's that long ago. They had a policy within the Sea Anglers Match Federation that every five years the secretary changed because they didn't want to stagnate, they wanted people to come in, new ideas, take the federation forward. And I've been doing it so long now, but nobody else will do it. But I won't walk away from it simply because uh, I, I love it and I've got too much respect for the anglers within it. I have managed to outfarm some of the work, other people doing jobs for us, like Nick Haywood runs the pairs and we've got Darren Phillips who runs the, the challenge matches. So really, the, I just organised the Masters competition and... Um, that travels around the country every year, different venues each year. So I'll, I'll just continue doing that, but there's no no more future for me now in international fishing. I very rarely fish matches these days. It's just a pleasure. That's, I just want to enjoy what I do. I want to decide, when I look out of the window, do I want to go fishing in this gale and driving rain, or shall I just not bother today? Whereas if you're fishing a match or a team, you've got to go. I want to just decide. I, I, I've, it's got to be pleasurable now. Simple as. If, as you say, you've always had boats and love boat fishing, why then didn't you try to climb the international ladder there instead of from the shore? That's a good question, that. I don't really know. It was mainly because the people that I got involved in were shore fishing like the Preston International team. They were shore fishermen and it was just the way it was. But um, no, I've, uh, I've always had a boat and I've always enjoyed it, but I never really wanted to get involved in the competition side of it on the boats. I talked to the boat fishermen um, at the World Championships and everything. It's the same thing as, as the beach fishing. There's as many fish as they can catch and instead of like trying to catch a quality fish that pulls your string that you want to catch. A very candid interview, and I'm very grateful to Andy Steele for that. More evidence, if ever it was needed, that the grass isn't necessarily always going to be greener elsewhere, and that people who do make it to the top are neither lucky, nor in the position simply to sit back and take all the rewards. Lending yet more weight to the old adage, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Mm -hmm.